Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. story. Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, We have been on this series uh, looking at Jesus, the statements of Jesus, the I am statements of Jesus. We're going to finish that today. Hasn't it been a great experience? Now, if you've missed it, all of the messages are online on the Mariner's Church website. You just click at the chapel where you see the chapel and all the messages are online. Some of you didn't even know that, did you? Uh, But yes, you can go back and listen to them and kind of capture all that we've learned. But today we're going to finish. We're going to look at the last words of Jesus. We're going to look at last words because last words matter, right? I mean, have you ever thought about what would be perhaps your last words before you go on to our next eternal experience with the Lord? Ah, It's impossible to think about that, right? Because really at that moment, who knows what we're going to be thinking. Some people don't even get a chance. Uh, Jim's mom, Carol, passed away in our home, actually, a few years ago of a sudden heart attack. And we never got to hear her last words. Um, And so I personally, I've had people in my life pass away. I've never actually heard someone say their last words just before they go. Maybe you have, and you know those words are powerful. If you've heard someone's last words, they stick with you. Anybody heard someone's last words? I'm curious. In the room? A few of you. And you know, they, those words stick with you. Um, my father, he passed away some time ago, and I never got to hear last words from him per se, but I went to visit him, and my last experience with my father, whom I did not grow up with, um, I got to see him some 25 years uh, uh, later just before he was going to pass away of cancer. And his last words to me were really just a look. He he held my face in his hands and he looked at me. And with his look, he says, he essentially said to me, I see you. And though he said no words, to me, those are my poppy's last words. I see you. And boy, did I need to hear those words from him. Last words matter. And what we're going to see today is that words, last words of Jesus are incredibly important for us. And uh, I think one thing I want to just point out is the difference between the last words of believers and the last words of unbelievers. And I just want to give you a few examples before we hear Jesus' last words, just so that um, we can see perhaps the vision of what Jesus is calling us to and how it's going to change even how we say our last words. So, for example, uh, Steve Jobs, listen to his last words. He said, there's one thing that can never be found when it's lost, life. Interesting, right? Uh, Judas Iscariot, right, the one who um, was um, <clears throat> betrayed Jesus, he says, I have sinned in, what I have betra- in that I have betrayed innocent blood. Those are his last words before hanging himself, according to Scripture. Nostradamus said, tomorrow I shall no longer be here. Groucho Marx, who is a comedian, he says, die, my dear. Why, that's the last thing I'll do. And that is true. (laughs) Believers sound a little different. Um, Stephen, the first Christian martyr in Scripture, uh, the stories told in Acts said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Those are good last words, aren't they? John Wesley said, the best of all is God is with us. 
that's John Wesley, but I love J.L. Moody's words. He said, I see earth receding, heaven is opening, God is calling me. Mm, those are great last words. Maybe you want to write some of those down and keep them for yourself. <laughs> but the point is, last words are important. And so as we look at the last words of Jesus, I want us to give them that weight. And, you know, the big question is like, which are Jesus's last words? Because when you look at scripture, you can actually uh, say the statement on a various different places. Was it the last words that he said on the cross when he said, my God, my God, right? When he says, to you, I give my spirit. When he said, it is finished. Were those his last words? In one way, they are. Or were they the last words, the words he said after the resurrection, when he was with his disciples, after he had appeared many times to his disciples, and just before he ascended into heaven, he tells them, as Matthew tells us, go, make disciples. Were those the last words of Jesus? Or were the last words of Jesus after the ascension which are documented in the book of Revelation, those are the words we're going to read today. And what you're going to find is that these last words actually connect very well with all the other last words. So I think it's a really great place to go to look at the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, the very last part of the book of the Bible. We're going to look at Revelations chapter 22. Now, did you bring a Bible? Anybody bring a Bible? Yes, we're Bible-bringing chapel people. Woo! Awesome. Because you want to circle some things today. I'm going to point out some things that maybe, perhaps, you maybe never noticed or studied. And, and that's because Revelation is one of those books that everyone's afraid of. Like, oh, I don't want to read that book. It's the most unread book of the Bible, even more than Leviticus, you know? Um, because people are afraid of it, but it is a book of hope. It's a book of hope. And this last portion of the book gives us a picture of the book of hope that it is. And so Revelations chapter 22, very, very last part of the Bible. That's where we're going to be today. And it's even an epilogue. So it's like the last of the last portion of the Bible. All right. So I'm going to start with verse 12. Listen to God's word. It says, look, I am coming soon. My reward, my reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right of the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the, the root and the offering of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn any, everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. You know, where it says, if anyone adds anything to these words, I'm actually really afraid to preach right now. (laughs) Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we look, consider, study, hear your last words. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you are the one who illuminates these words for us. Oh, Lord, I've prepared, I've plotted, I've planned, but it is you, oh God, that we want to hear from. And so, Father, I pray that you would, in your supernatural way, speak, speak, oh God. Your children are listening. Our hearts are open. We want to hear from you. Lord, thank you that you are not a silent God, that you do speak to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you are always with us. And so, Lord, today we lean on you. We trust on you to guide us, to understand what you're saying to us. And we pray this on Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Ooh, okay. All right. I'll go for it. All right. So Jesus' last words, if you didn't catch it, they're an invitation. Have you ever gotten an invitation like in the mail? You notice that when you get these invitations, you immediately have a sense for the event, right? So like if the invitation is really fun and it kind of gives you like, it has a picnic picture on it, you know, okay, I'm going to put on my shorts and my Hawaiian shirt. I'm going to a picnic kind of place. If the invitation is all fancy with gold and nice trimmings, you go, all right, pull out the tux. We're going to a very nice place, right? Invitations, simply by the way they're formed and they look, tell us a lot about the event that we're about to attend. And it sets our posture towards the event, right? It might say to us, yeah, I want to go to that, or that looks really boring. I don't want to go to that at all. And this invitation that Jesus gives us has its own unique component. It has a way in which it's structured in such a way that it's startling simply because it's not like the invitations that you and I say yes to. Think about the invitations you're most likely to accept whether you get it in paper or by an evite, they're going to be from people that you like, most likely, people you trust, people you admire, and they're going to ask you to go somewhere, right? They're going to ask you to show up somewhere. But the invitation that Jesus is giving us is different. He starts it out with saying, look, I am coming soon. It's an invitation, but he's saying, I'm coming I'm going to show up. Not too long ago, my uh, older brother, who is constantly traveling around the world for his work, he's a contract, a defense contractor uh, for the military, and so he travels around the world. He was gone to Afghanistan for six months, and he had come back, and he called me, and he said, hey, Inez, um, I think I want to come by and visit uh, my, my, my mom, our mom, and visit you. And my mom was living with us at the time, and so I thought, okay. And that was the end of the conversation. You know, all he said was, I'm going to come visit. So that was the end of that. About two weeks later, he showed up at our house with his luggage. And he stayed for about 10 days. I had no idea that was what he was saying. He's like, I'm going to show up. He sort of invited me to have time with him. But in reality, he's coming to me. I think that's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to show up. I'm inviting you to something. But guess what? I'm the one who's coming to you. And I want you to notice something. Again, if you have your Bible, this is one of those wonderful opportunities to mark this. Because you'll notice this statement of Jesus starts and begins with the same statement. Verse 12 and verse 20. What does it say? 
I am coming soon. He starts telling you he's coming and he ends by telling you he's coming. Now, this is a common structure, a literary structure, if I can say that, literary structure. There you go. It's my Spanish accent. Um, It's a structure used in scripture to point to something really important. Now, you've heard me talk about this. I talk about it as an Oreo cookie because I'm an Oreo cookie fan. I have Oreo cookie socks, and I have a whole container in my pantry of Oreo cookies. If you come over, I'll give you one. But the Oreo cookie concept is you've got a cookie and another cookie, and in the middle, what? A delicious cream. The middle is the best part. And so this structure that we're going to see is done in the same way. The technical term for this is called a chiasm or a chiastic structure. It's kind of like an Oreo cookie or maybe like a sandwich. You got a piece of bread, a piece of bread, and the stuff in the middle is the good stuff. And the point is to get us to look carefully of what's in the middle. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. There you got it. The two cookies or the bread, whichever you prefer. But what's in the middle is what he wants us to pay attention to. All right? So that's something I want us to notice. And what's in the middle, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump to what's in the middle so that we can start from the middle and work ourselves back to I am coming soon. All right? What's in the middle is verse 14, where it says, Blessed, listen to the, you got on screen, good. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. Verse 15 continues with outside of the dogs, da, 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 da. But the real center of this is blessed are those who wash their robes. That's the center, what he wants us to be invited to, to be blessed, to be happy. The word blessed in Greek represents also a sense of happiness, of wholeness, of peace, of shalom. There is a completeness that comes when we're blessed. He says, blessed are those. I am inviting you to a blessing. I am coming to you to bring a blessing. And he says, blessed are those who wash the roast. Now, you know, it's not hard to understand the next verse where it says, outside are the dogs and the immoral and all that stuff. That's like black and white. But blessed are those who wash their robes. What? What is he saying here? By this, Jesus is implying that there's a a certain thing that we are to do to enter into this invitation. There's something that must happen before we come into this union with him. And he calls it the washing of the robes. And this is a picture throughout Scripture. Scripture is constantly showing us this picture of cleanliness, being clean. Or you see in Scripture stories of being unclean. What is this all about? Jesus is pointing back to Genesis. He's pointing back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the story of man and woman created in God's image, created to be in perfect Unity with God, not even having to wear clothes. There was no shame. There was no hunger. There was no thirst. There was no violence. There were no wars. There was no anger. There was nothing bad, nothing dark, nothing but goodness and perfection in God's presence. And God created them to reflect his image. 
And in order to, for this to happen, there had to be a dependence on God. They were created, man and woman created by God to be dependent on God. And how is willing obedience displayed? But through obedience. Willing dependence is displayed through obedience. So God makes one rule, just one rule. How many rules do we have? Do we live by, right? We have traffic rules. We have legal rules. We have parent rules. We have wedding marriage rules. You name it. There's rules at work. There's rules at church. There's rules everywhere. But God gave his creation one rule. He picked a tree in the garden and says, don't eat from that one. That's it. You can eat from all the other trees, but not that one. Now, some people say, was it a was it an apple? Was it pomegranate? Who cares? The point was, don't eat from that one. And what did they do? They ate. The one thing God said, don't do, they did. You see, because here's the deception that the first man and woman bought into and we buy into. That God isn't all good. That somehow God was holding something back. That God isn't all powerful, that somehow they could be as powerful, as wise as God himself. That God wasn't all loving because a loving God would not give us one rule. A loving God wouldn't put any restrictions on us. That's a deception. And that deception, buying into that deception, you and I buy into the deception. We often think God can't be that good. Well, if he's good, he's probably not powerful because, you know, good things are not all that powerful. If he's good and powerful, he's certainly not loving, right? We buy into these lies and we bring into our lives a lack of peace, a sense of thirst and loss, a sense of being lost because we say no to who God is. And that's the same thing that they did. And what happens in Genesis, you'll see the story that they immediately went into shame. They separated from God and they started to make clothes for themselves. Hence began the forever task of doing laundry. It started there. It didn't need to be. How many of you love doing laundry? I don't. But it started there. All of a sudden we're needing to do laundry on a regular basis because we're trying to cover something. And that's just simply a picture of the shame that we're trying to cover. The shame of saying no to God. And God loved them too much to leave them in that state. God pursues them. I am coming soon. God pursues them and says, where are you? Where are you? What have you done? And when, when the reality is come true, he says, you can't be in this space anymore. You know why? Because in the same garden, there is a tree of life. If you eat from that tree, you will remain forever in this shame. That's not what God wanted for them. He sends them out of the garden. He covers the garden so they can't come back in until God completes the work of making them clean. Until God completes the work of removing the shame. And so it's kind of like a picture of, of God saying, I am coming soon. I am inviting you, but you're going to have to get cleaned up. Not because God is saying, hey, you have to do the work of getting cleaned up, but because I'm doing the work of getting cleaned up and you've got to Submit yourself to it. You have to say yes to it. It is God who does the work. So the best way I can describe this to you is this little picture I found of two boys who are kind of dirty. It reminds me of my grandsons. Shame is like a stain in our spirit. 
our sin, our, our dishonoring of God, when we dishonor God, we break something essential in us, the image of him in us. And it becomes like a stain. It becomes like dirt, like a filth, scripture says. And most of us think that when we sin against God, when we dishonor God, God looks at us with anger and judgment and wrath and wants to just take us out. It's kind of like a parent who's at the door and, and imagine, say you were this parent and your house is like perfectly white and perfectly clean and your kids show up at the door looking like that. And you just immediately think, well, kids, what have you done? And you start, that's really the image sometimes we have of God. But that's not the God that Jesus wants us to know. You know, I have two real grandsons. In fact, they were with us this last Friday overnight and we spent yesterday morning with them. And boy, they are rambunctious. They're out there playing and getting dirty and all that stuff. And when they get dirty and they maybe, I don't have a picture of them looking like this, but believe me, they can. Of course, I want to clean them before they come into the house. But I look at them with love and go, okay, let's get cleaned up. Let's take that shirt off. Let's put on a clean one. Let's take up, let's clean, let's take off those shoes. Let's get you together so you can come in. You see how God does it? It's not that you're going to go clean up yourself. It's that you submit to him cleaning you. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Through the work on the cross, Jesus gave up his body, shed his blood to wash us clean. And now this picture that we have clean robes comes at the very hand of God. Blessed are those who say yes to God. Like these little children, perhaps coming to God and saying, oh, we've made a mess. I've made a mess. Now you, you might... I, I totally relate to these boys because my life looks a lot worse than that. What I've done looks a lot worse than that. But some of you are really, really good people. And you only have like one little stain somewhere. A little one stain, that's all. Because you're like amazing. But you know, God wants to clean that too. And the question is, will you submit to letting him wash you clean? Get rid of the shame. Get rid of the sorrow. Get rid of the lack of peace that you have in your heart. Blessed are those, Jesus said, who wash their robes, who accept the cleaning that Jesus brings to them. Isaiah 61 says, I am overjoyed, overwhelmed with joy at the Lord of God, who has dressed me with the clothing of salvation. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Dress me with the clothing of salvation and drape me in a robe of righteousness. When God looks at us dressed in the robe of Jesus Christ, he sees the cleanliness, the perfection of his son, which is amazing and overwhelming because the enemy doesn't want us to think and believe that that is true. There's an enemy who wants us to believe, well, hey, I see the stain. It's still there. It's not going anywhere. But Jesus says, I have made you clean. Clean. It is finished, he said on the cross. It is done. But, you know, I sometimes come up with a really good sermon, and then I study scripture, and the sermon just falls apart. That happened to me this week. Because when you look at the words, when he says, blessed are those who wash their robes, I immediately, I, like you, I understand that it's like, we do it once, and we're done. It's clean, never have to do it again. Right? We are saved for good. We don't lose our salvation. That is true. But do you do your laundry only once? 
Do you wash your clothes only once and never wash them again? I hope that's the answer is no. Come on, talk to me, people. <laughs> we, we have to, like, spot clean them, right? Because we get out there again and we get dirty again. So this idea, Jesus told to Peter. Jesus washed the feet of Peter. And Peter's like, don't wash my feet. You're, you're like, you're the son of God. Don't do that. And Jesus is like, if you knew, if you knew what I'm doing, he's like, okay, Jesus, wash my whole body. No, you're missing it again, Peter. You've been washed already once. Now I'm washing your feet. There is this spot cleaning that has to happen on a regular basis. So yes, Jesus gives us the clean robes through his sacrifice. But every one of us on a daily basis puts a spot or two on that robe. Anybody with me? And so he's, the, the language behind this, you don't see it in English, but in the Greek, it's a, a participle. It's a verb that is actually continuous. Blessed are those who are constantly washing their robes. Blessed are those who confess their sins, who are real about who they are. You know, one of the biggest complaints against Christians in the world today is that, hey, you know what? You, I'm a Christian, so I'm good. But everyone looks at your life and goes, not so good. I, I, I see how you live, and I'm not so sure I want to believe what you believe because I don't believe that true. This week, I actually mentored a young couple who's about to be married. And, you know, she has a very pessimistic view of marriage because her parents, who were Christians, had the most awful marriage. It was for her, she could not see the, the, the reality. But her uncle also had a difficult marriage. Her uncle was willing to be honest with her about it. I asked her, is there anyone in your life who you could see a marriage lived out in the Christian valley? She goes, my uncle, because my uncle, although he had a difficult marriage, he was willing to say, hey, I'm struggling in this area. I'm working in this area. Sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes she's selfish. But we're both trying to seek God. They were real. They're saying, hey, yeah, we've got some stains. We have accepted the washing of Jesus, but we're not always perfectly clean. We need that constant cleaning, and that comes through our confession. Not that we confess because we might lose our salvation. We confess so that we might live out our salvation. Thank you. When we say amen, by the way, for those of you who are new, that means I agree with that. So if you agree with it, just holler out amen. amen. We live out. We live out this cleanliness. David did it. David was a man who sought after God's own heart. David sinned colossally. He went out and had an affair. Not only that, he killed the husband of the woman that he brought in. And he was not, he didn't even confess on his own accord. He had to be confronted. But when, once he was confronted with this, he confessed. He told God his own words. He says, have mercy on me, God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Clean up that stain. Clean up that spot. Wash my robe again. Yes, Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2. Oh, I love it. You guys are talking about it. This is like the best. This is the best. Are you keeping close accounts with God? Are you, are you asking God to clean this, clean that, wash this? Are you, are you willing to give to God? Hey, God, I'm struggling in this area. Would you wash my transgressions. Would you, Lord, do a little bit of laundry in my life? 
Would you put me through the ringer a little bit, you know? <laughs> Clean it up, O oh Lord. Are you willing to do that? Jesus says, blessed are those. What do they get? They get the right to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were removed from the garden because the tree of life were there. And God did not want them to live forever in a state of shame. But those who are washed by the Lord now get the right to be by the tree of life, which means, yes, they can eat from that tree. They can live for eternity in that state of cleanliness. So Jesus is saying, welcome. I am inviting you. I am coming to you. I am washing you and I'm bringing you to an eternal life with me without shame. With, with ever eternal peace, with wholeness with goodness, that which we all so desperately want, right? That's what we want. And it says there's a, some of those are on the outside. Those are simply the people who rejected to be clean. That's all it is. It's a long list of people, but essentially it's anyone who says, I don't need to be clean. I'm okay. I'm clean enough. And they look like those boys, but they're walking around going, I don't have anything. I don't know what you've seen. I got no stains. Those are the people who are rejecting to be cleaned by God. Are you rejecting that? Are you saying no to God's desire to make you clean? It's not that you have to do the work. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Make me clean. Which is why I think in this, this particular section, we have the most evangelistic words coming out of John's mouth. It says in verse 17, I want you to read it uh, with me. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. I want you to say it with passion, right? Let the one who is thirsty, come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Three times, come. The invitation is for us to come to the Lord, to come to him and let him make us clean. It's not a forced invitation. It's not one of those that says, you better come over here or else. I've said it to my kids once in a while. Now look, get over here. No, not that kind of invite. It's kind of intimidating, right? No, come. Come. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, come. You are being pursued by the Holy Spirit. God pursues you. Listen, you're here today. That's proof enough. Some of you are here today. and You're like, I don't even know why I came. I just woke up and I just... Made it over here. That's because God's pursuing you. You are being pursued. Come. The Spirit pursues you. Wakes you up in the morning and says, you got to come to church. you got to come to the chapel. you got to hear this message. This message is for you. The bride, the church says, come. This is where we as the church, everything that we do is an invitation. I love Gail's picture this morning. Coming out to the gate saying, bienvenidos, welcome, welcome. You and I, if this is your space, you know, the chapel is a beautiful, beautiful building, but it means nothing. It's you and I that actually give it life. And how it is that we make people feel welcome. We have people who stand at the door and say hello to. These are volunteers. By the way, we need some guys to volunteer for that. So men, it's for you. We need some men to help us there too, because we want, you know, we want a good representation of people saying hello. And they come and he starts at the door. We say hello. And then everything that happens here, 
our team that puts together the candles and the communion, our tech team up there, the people who make sure the service happens according to plan. These are our producers. We have our prayer team. And then there's you. If you're not volunteering for some of those things, just by your very presence, you say to people, come, this is a good place. You're in the right place. Come. And then it says, everyone who hears says, come. We are invited to be inviters. We are called by Jesus to then tell others, come. But you know, the old way of doing it was you had a little like, uh, evangelistic track, you know, that had the, the, the spiritual, you know, the Roman road or whatever, and you walked up, or the cube, and you walked up to somebody and you go, you need Jesus, you know? See ya. Go to Mariner's Church at 9 a.m. See, the, the new, this is really the right way to say, come to others, and that is to live your life based on what you believe. It's how you live this out. People are watching you. Everyone's watching you. They're watching how you, if they have heard you say you're a Christian, they're watching everything you say, everything you do. And by that, they decide, is the Christian life livable? Is it fun? Is it good? Is it inspiring? Is it really life-changing? Is it powerful? They're watching and asking those questions as they see you. And when they see that is true, then they're willing to come and believe and check it out. Maybe that's why you're here today. Someone modeled it for you, and you're like, I want to know more about this. Or, and then once you do that, and you, you start living it out, you go, you know what? This is true. I'm seeing it happen in my life. When I live out the faith, I see, oh, this is truth. So you see, this invitation isn't just a, hey, here's a little note, show up at church, or I really love the chapel, you got to come with me. It's I, My life has changed. My life is different. God has removed my shame and removes it on a daily basis. I have peace when the world says I shouldn't have peace. I'm in the middle of a crisis, and yet I have somehow peace because God has given me that peace. Would you come and experience this with me? Come, be an inviter. Be an inviter. That's what we're being called to do. And then who is it that invites us? Oh, my goodness, it's 10.03. We're going to keep going. You all right? You got time? You got time? All right. Because we have to just keep in mind who's inviting us. We're going to walk out from the center back out to these the, the, the two cookies, the two pieces of bread. But right before that is this, who is inviting us? Who is it that we invite on behalf? Jesus twice tells us two I am statements. Again, bookending this blessed. One is he says, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Three times, three times he makes this statement. I am eternal. I was here before. I'm here now. I'll be here later. There is none, none like me. Period. And then he closes it with a similar statement. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. That's for the Jewish people. You and I totally get the Alpha Omega, right? The A, the Z, the beginning and the end. That's Gentile thinking. 
But for the Jews, he says, I am the root and the offspring of David. I am both the one who created David and I am the descendant of David. Now that is completely confusing for us, right? Come on, think about that for a second. He's saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning of the end, the bright morning star. Just as the morning breaks, when it's the darkest at night, Jesus comes. Yes, that's the one who invites. That's the one who invites us to invite. Now you can look at all the gospels. Take a minute this week. Extra credit. Look at the end of every gospel. Look at the last things that Jesus said to his followers. I'll read some of it to you. In John chapter 21, Jesus comes back to Peter and says, Do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. Go take care of my sheep. Go invite. In Matthew 28, you love me. Go and make disciples. Don't just go telling people about me. Help them follow me. Help them know me. Help them experience what I have for them. Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel, meaning the good news to whom? All creation, anybody who's willing to listen. You go stand by the plants if you have to so you can practice. But eventually you tell anybody you can the good news. You don't have to live a life of shame. You don't have to live a life without peace. You don't have to live a life of emptiness. Come. Luke 24, you are my witnesses. People will know me when they see me in your life. And in Acts chapter 1, he tells them this. You are my witness. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, in the rest of the world. I am sending you all over the place to be my witness. All of this, all of this is just another way of saying, come, all who are thirsty, come. Come to Jesus. He is pursuing my hope for you and me today as I ask the worship team to come up. Is that you are reminded of who is inviting you. Who is going to show up? You have the blank on your outline. The backside is completely blank. I'm going to invite you to do something on the back of your outline. If you have a pen, find that. And that is to write the words. Now we're back to the cookie or the bread, to the words that Jesus said at the beginning and the end of this whole thing. What did he say? I am coming soon. I am coming soon. Do we live our lives believing that any moment, kind of like my brother showed up at my house with his luggage, and any moment, the great I am is going to show up. Are we going to say yes? Are we going to say yes to being invited? Are we going to say yes to inviting others? And so Stan has this beautiful song. He's going to sing over us. So before you get up and go to the stations, which, of course, at the communion, a beautiful reminder of what he did for us. This is where we get reminded he did the cleaning. We don't have to clean up our act. We can come to him. He helps us clean up our act through his sacrifice. We light the candles to be reminded he is the bright star. He is the light of the world in our darkness, in our deepest darkness. He is there, and the light overcomes the darkness. 
And we have our elder here, my good-looking, guapo husband, Jim. <laughs> He'll pray for you. We have prayer people around the room. We have the offering boxes. There's lots of ways to respond. We have the cross to confess our sins, to go get rid of that spot through Jesus. But listen to these words that Stan will sing over you as you respond. And before you get up, write down on your paper, I am coming soon. And reflect on what that means to you. Listen. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.